and we're live. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Solvable Mysteries podcast. My name is Euros, and as every week, I'm joined by Glenn Highcove. How are you feeling on this Friday evening? So far, so good. Uh, just staying busy this week, you know. Uh, I don't know how it is by you, but I feel like we're having an early spring. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> I was telling you that the last case we did was one that made me think so much. And then this one was really interesting. So I, I, I know you have a, a really good um, kind of crafted intro and I'm gonna try to not uh, train wreck this show too many times this, this time and try to make sure we stay on track. Oh, All come right, on, man. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, this week we're gonna be talking about the disappearance of Lauren Spearer. Um, and really quickly, I wanna jump right into the intro of this case and then we can discuss the various interesting details so lauren spearer is an american woman who disappeared on june 3rd 2011 in bloomington indiana at the time of her disappearance lauren was 20 years of age she was a student at indiana university lauren is presumed dead and her case remains unsolved Till this day so it's been almost yeah it's been more than 10 years at this point lauren grew up in scarsdale in new york she graduated high school in 2009 and enrolled at the indiana university where she was studying textiles merchandising lauren had a boyfriend at the time of her disappearance named jesse wolf who she met years earlier at the summer camp in pennsylvania while studying at Indiana University, Lauren was renting an apartment at Smallwood Plaza Apartments with her roommate, Hadar Tamir. On June 3rd, 2011, Lauren left her apartment with a neighbor of hers named David Ron at about 12.30 a.m. in the evening. Lauren and David went to meet up with Jay Rosenbaum, who was a friend of Lauren's, and he was living at the Five North Townhomes apartment complex, which was approximately six minutes away by walking on foot. When they got to the Five North Townhomes apartment complex, they also met a man named Corey Roseman, who was Jay Rosenbaum's neighbor. At this point, Lauren's neighbor, David Ron, decided to return home to the Smallwood Plaza apartments. On the other hand, Lauren and Corey Roseman decided to head out to the Kilroy's Sports Bar to have some drinks. The Kilroy's Sports Bar was around 8 minutes away by walking on foot. They got to Kilroy's Sports Bar at 1.45 a.m. and left by 2.30 a.m., spending around 45 minutes inside the bar. Lauren had left the bar and she also left her phone as well as her shoes inside of the bar. Now, it is believed that Lauren removed her shoes because the bar had a sandy beach area where people would usually remove their shoes. After leaving the sports bar, Corey Roseman walked Lauren, who was intoxicated at that point, well, they both were quite intoxicated, 
Corey Roseman walked Lauren back to her apartment at the Smallwood Plaza apartment complex. Once they got to the Smallwood Plaza apartment complex, Corey got into an altercation with a group of four Indiana University students. Now, this altercation began after the group of students noticed how intoxicated Lauren was and then one of the students suggested to Corey Rosenman that he should bring Lauren back home. Now, Corey allegedly started cursing at that student, who then proceeded to punch Corey in the head. Now, Corey will later claim that this punch in the head caused him a concussion that, in fact, made him forget like everything that happened during that evening. And this will come into play because he was questioned by police, but he couldn't really provide a lot of details about the night when Lauren disappeared. Now, for some unknown reason, Corey Roseman and Lauren left the Smallwood Plaza Apartments complex because let's remember, the initial plan was for Corey to walk Lauren back to her apartment because she was heavily intoxicated. Instead, they left the apartment complex and they headed back to the five North Town Homes apartment complex where Corey was living. On their way to the five North Town Homes apartment complex, Lauren and Corey entered an alley that runs between College Avenue and Morton Street. We will look into this alley very soon. Security cameras mounted on nearby apartments showed them exit the alley at 2.51 a.m. in the evening and walk towards an empty parking lot. Lauren's keys and purse were also found along this route through the alley. For some reason, Lauren not only left her shoes and her phone at the bar, she also left her keys and her purse at a random alley. Lauren and Corey eventually arrive at Corey's apartment. Shortly afterwards, Corey's roommate, Mike Beth, uh, saw them come inside of the apartment complex. Now, according to this roommate, Mike Beth, when Lauren and Corey arrived to the apartment, they were both heavily intoxicated and stumbling. He also said that Corey had vomited on the carpet on the way upstairs. Mike Beth then took Corey to bed and tried to persuade Lauren to sleep over as she was highly intoxicated as well. Lauren refused Mike's offer because she wanted to get back to her own apartment. Around 3.30 a.m., Mike called his neighbor and Lauren's friend, the same Jay Rosenbaum from earlier on the evening, asking him to take care of Lauren shortly after Lauren went to Jay's apartment. I'm sorry, soon after that call, Lauren went to Jay Rosenbaum's apartment. Now, Lauren and Jay tried calling Lauren's neighbor, David Ron, if you remember David Ron from the beginning of the night, that's the neighbor of Lauren that, you know, tagged along with Lauren to Jay Rosenbaum's place initially, but then he decided not to go drinking in the Kilroy's bar. 
Now, he did not pick up the phone. So at around 4.30 a.m., Lauren reportedly left Jay Rosenbaum's apartment and was last seen by him at the intersection of 11th Street and College Avenue heading south. She was barefoot, wearing black leggings and a white t-shirt. Let's remember that her personal belongings were pretty much scattered around the general vicinity, the general neighborhood. The following day, Lauren's boyfriend, Jesse Wolf, reported Lauren, Lauren missing in the early afternoon after texting her phone and receiving a reply message from an employee at Kilroy Sports Bar where Lauren had left her shoes and phone the night prior. And to this day, Lauren has never been seen from again or heard from again. She is presumed dead. And I guess this is where we'll jump into the nitty gritty side of things. Um, I know this intro <laughs> was a little dry, but I wanted to make sure I, I present the general story. And now we can try to analyze what's happening here and unwrap everything. I'm going to quickly sip some water. Dude, your take on the whole story, the timeline, everything, man. Yeah, I mean, the, the crazy part is there's a lot more even details we're going to get into about I guess some of the partying that night and, and sometimes that, that partying kind of colors maybe unfairly how people perceive the case or the victim and, and things like that. I, I think we'll, we'll get into that too, but yeah, I mean, the, the already though, from the description you gave, the night is clearly a disaster, right? Like all kinds of things are going wrong. Um, I mean, anytime I lost my phone, that day would already be a disaster, right? That's probably the one of the most valuable things I own, um, <laughs> besides my car, maybe, right, or my house. Um, but then, you know, your phone, your wallet, you're drunk, you're missing a shoe, like all this stuff that's going on. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's not a good way to, to be out on the town, uh, especially late at night. Totally, man. And now I want to take it a little bit slower and actually give a better picture to our audience members. So essentially, um, on our YouTube channel, we're now looking at the general vicinity of this case. And one of the things that people that are listening to this podcast, not watching on the YouTube channel, will probably not realize is that how close everything is happening. The first time I read about this case, I had a completely different visual picture in my head. But then when I actually looked at the map, and as you can see, I'll just quickly want to point point a few details out. Um, let me try to get this um, marker here. So if you can see this right here, uh, this is Lauren's apartment uh, where she was living at. Now, this is the Kilroy's sports bar where she left her phone as well as her shoes. Now, this is the Five North Town Homes apartment complex where Lauren was pretty much, you know, last seen by the group of men that she was hanging out with on the day when she disappeared. Now, this is the alleyway or... No, this is the intersection, I'm sorry, where she was last seen uh, by Jay Rosenbaum walking into the southern, south move direction 
almost indicating that she's walking towards her apartment complex because if she just continued walking a few blocks south from where she was last seen, she would have reached her apartment complex. This is the alleyway right here that her keys and her purse was left. And I quickly want to uh, draw out how the night went. So uh, once again, Lauren and her room and her not roommate but Lauren and her um, neighbor from the Smallwood apartment complex David Ron they walked at 12 30 in the evening towards the five North Town Homes apartment complex now uh, for some reason, David Ron decides to head back home, but Lauren is still here. Now, then, I, I would assume Lauren and Corey Roseman, they walk all the way here, which is pretty close. Most I'm not sure which route they took to the Kilroy Sports Bar, located right here. Now, after a while, they leave the Kilroy Sports Bar to go to... Uh, Lauren's apartment complex. Now, now for some reason, Corey gets hit in the face, and Lauren just I don't know maybe helps him out back to five uh, North Town Homes apartment where he was living. But then once she gets there, she says, "I want to go back home." And we know that they took this route through this alleyway because this is exactly where she left her. Um, you know, keys and purse. So they must have went through this location, went through the alleyway, and went here. So I know this is kind of like <laughs> pretty confusing as well, but hopefully this makes sense. Now, the general thing I wanted to illustrate for everyone who's listening to this, that this is all happening in a radius of like, let's say, 500 meters. All of these locations are pretty close to each other. Um, yeah, you see anything like interesting that pops into your head or you know do you want to touch <laughs> one? We, were, we were laughing before the show could you show the Corey guy's picture yeah okay give me a second. Got, got, uh, sorry I don't this is Corey roseman <laughs> he's got the sorry he kind of looks punchable he doesn't look like a nice guy he has kind of a jerk face there maybe to be fair maybe he wasn't in a good mood when he took that photo if it's a mugshot or something from you know like a prior arrest or something but I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so as I understand it, the, re the reason he got punched in the face and maybe in the head more than that is the, he, you know, he was extremely inebriated and maybe on other things too, depending on what we believe about what happened that night in terms of um, substance intake from a whole party of people. And yeah, he, at some point, I think people got, I mean, he was all drunk, and then I guess Lauren was pretty obviously drunk, too. And someone said to him, like, you know, you should take her home. And he, like, blew up at them. And they <laughs> they were sort of like, okay, I'm going to hit you then now. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it doesn't, he doesn't look like, like a real level-headed guy. So I sort of don't um, disbelieve that. And also the other thing is, too, this is going to play a part later on because they said this now he, he claims that because he was struck in the head he suffered a concussion which is possible and it's plausible and he says because of that he has memory issues surrounding that night um and the events both before and after 
um, being struck in the head. Yeah, totally. Um, also, at this point, I feel like it's really good for me to play this uh, news uh, clip for everyone. I think this clip is going to like set the stage for our further analysis of this case. Uh, really quickly, when I play this, our audience members will have a better time uh, understanding the general scope as well as what do Lauren's parents personally think about this case. Really quickly, I want everyone to just listen in years since Lauren's fire vanished during a night out with fellow students at Indiana University. On the second anniversary of her disappearance, the case remains a mystery. Fox News spoke to her parents in an exclusive interview. Christina Corbin has the story. We just want to thank all of our friends and family. Two years have passed since Lauren Spears' parents, Rob and Charlene, last heard their daughter's voice or enjoyed her smile. Lauren was like a very outgoing child. She loved to pretend. She loved to use different um, accents. The 20-year-old Indiana University sophomore disappeared June 3rd, 2011 after a night out with friends and fellow students. Some days you kind of think you're making it through that day and then something will happen or you'll, which kind of brings it all back. No arrests, no suspects named. Police say they, quote, continue to pursue all avenues in this investigation. Mike Harkins retired from the FBI in 2012. His 22-year career focused on finding the missing. You have to be open to all, all theories here. I think, uh, you know, you, 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 take, you go where the evidence takes you. Why don't we split up three and three? The main theories of Lauren's disappearance are simple. Was she taken by a stranger? Or were the students last seen with her involved? Fellow students Corey Rossman, Mike Beth, and Jay Rosenbaum are among the last people to see Lauren alive. They have not been named suspects and maintain their innocence. Rossman claims he remembers little of what happened that night, but he did spend time with Lauren. According to witnesses, Lauren and Rossman walked from a popular bar to her apartment at 2.30 a.m. Just 12 minutes later, the two left after Rossman was punched by another student. Witnesses also say Rossman was helping Lauren walk. It's not clear how drunk she may have been, or if she had taken drugs, or been slipped something without her knowledge. Later, Lauren is seen on surveillance video at roughly 3 a.m. According to Rossman and Beth, she ended up in the apartment the men shared. They claim they tried to get her to stay and sleep on the couch, but she refused. At about 4.30 a.m., Rosenbaum, who lived in an apartment down the hall, says he watched Lauren barefoot and without her cell phone, walking home alone. Her apartment was six minutes away. I have my doubts. Rob and Charlene Spear aren't convinced Lauren ever left the apartment building. She was barely able to make it to Corey's apartment without his physical help. So for her to recover in such a short period of time, call it an hour or more, um, doesn't make sense to me. I know for a fact that the police would like to speak with these young men and that they continue to refuse to speak with the Bloomington Police Department. Rossman and Rosenbaum declined our requests for an interview. Beth could not be reached. Someone knows what happened here. Someone has that information out there you know, and they need to come forward. If it's true that Lauren walked home alone in the dark, did that make her the perfect target for a predator? Obviously her, her, her petite size, her, her condition she was in would have made a, an easy uh, target for someone uh, looking to commit that type of a crime, uh, no question. It could have happened in this instance, but overall they are, they are rare. 
The rarity of stranger abductions and the apparent lack of evidence suggesting foul play at any of the places Lauren was that evening make this a complex case. It's difficult to dispose of a body like that and then have it not come back or be traced back to the individuals. That is difficult, clearly. So, it, yeah, you've, you've got to wonder, you know, what happened there. Any information, however small it may seem, could break this case. The Bloomington Police Department tip line is 812-339-4477, and their email is policetips at bloomington.in.gov. I can hear a voice. And she's just such a loving girl. In New York, Christina Corbin, Fox News. Okay, so this is very interesting because um, now we have a different angle being portrayed by, you know, on this news clip in particular by the father of Lauren. And he says that he does not believe Lauren ever even left the five North Town Homes apartment complex. And why he believes that is because she was so drunk and she was stumbling around and she could barely walk and to recover from such a you know state herself even being like very small i think below like five foot or something like that um is quite unrealistic in his opinion and then once again um jay rosenbaum would just watch a still drunk and inebriated Lauren walk all the way down to her apartment complex in the middle of the night. Now, I'm not really sure if you would want to let someone walk in that state. Um, your take on your take on this whole uh, angle, dude? Yeah, I mean, it, and it's. But by the way, I mean, this is also factoring in. Lauren's health condition too, right? Because that comes into play and that's something that a lot of the people, I don't know that anybody would have necessarily known anything about her medical history and the susceptibility her heart had to potentially certain substances, substances more than others. But it also makes me wonder if she was one of those people that could, um, you know, like I think I mentioned I don't know if I mentioned this show before. I'm one of those people that that really is not very susceptible to alcohol um, at all, nor yeah, like I think a lot of other kind of yeah. yeah I it's just I mean, it's just one of those things, right? It's not a talent. It's just a biochemical thing. While some people can have one one beer and just be completely trash, and then other people can do just un amazing amounts of alcohol, even far more um, than you would think possible, and just shake it off. Um, until they literally kill her liver. It just makes me wonder if maybe she was just in better shape still um, for all that was going on than the guys around her. Like, wouldn't that be kind of, I don't know, maybe not hilarious, but interesting to think that it sort of flips the stereotype on its head, you know, when she's really like maybe drinking these other guys under the table and like her, her you know, these guys are like making fools of themselves and passing out around her and stumbling. And then like, she's having to like, I thought she had, as I understand it, she had to help that Corey guy back to the apartment, right? So like she's the one, she's the one having to lose her, her like wallet and her her phone, and you know like trying to get these other people back safe. 
I could kind of see. And the other thing is, I could kind of see why she wouldn't want to necessarily stay at some other guy's house to sleep. You know what I mean? I just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. They probably totally would have been probably the people that would not have ever done anything creepy or taken advantage because that's you know, most most people are normal like that. But just you know, it's kind of like a rule of thumb, I think, for girls. There's there's, there's some interesting stuff that comes up in this show that made me think about think about the things that I don't think about, you know what I mean? Being me. And, and, and then, and then I, I know that like, especially some of the, the other theories that we talk about and some of the behavior that we're going to mention, it's interesting because I know people that have run into this, some smaller version of this in the street. So I think it's, 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 it's fascinating how like some of the, the, the like avenues we're going to go down are a lot more common as scary as they are yeah dude really quickly uh, i just want to uh, also speak a little bit upon what you've said earlier about lauren's health condition i'm pretty sure once you mentioned that a bunch of people were like huh yeah so i really want to quickly mention that lauren was actually suffering from a disease called long qt syndrome and it's a heart rhythm condition that can potentially cause fast chaotic heartbeats. These rapid heartbeats might trigger you to suddenly faint. Some people with this condition have seizures. In some severe cases, this condition can cause sudden death. Apparently, mixed with high alcohol consumption and potentially drunk drug consumption this condition becomes very risky and very deadly really quickly and lauren was yeah. drinking so you know i'll just i'll just chime in here too um you know i have all these weird like pet hobbies and stuff and during different times of my life i used to listen to different like podcasts from Berkeley, from about like psych, you know, topics that I didn't necessarily cover in college, but wish I'd taken classes like psychology or um, there was this one class that broke down the biomedical stuff of all these uh, illegal narcotics. Anyway, I only mentioned it because one of the things that's interesting to me is um, one of the reasons why people die so often of, of overdoses of things besides like fentanyl, et cetera, is they mix, they mix chemicals um, that affect your heart. So like, um, if you know what, like purple drank or scissor up is like the, um, mixing lean. of like coke. Yeah. Lean, lean. Exactly. So when you're mixing, uh, yeah, it's a perfect example. So you're mixing like alcohol and codeine that is potentially fatal, uh, and can stop your heart. And then, um, there's a class of drugs. That like, oh, so I'm not a pharmacologist, but it's just, um, it's, it's just it's, it's something as i understand it like um benzodiapines i think so you know benzos if you mix those with alcohol and or opiates those are potentially high. so this is for people with normal hearts so you can only imagine if you have a a life-threatening condition now just to top this off cocaine i think cocaine gets demonized in other ways because it, while it is massively addictive um like there's a lot of asterisks around it and i don't i don't definitely endorse it but one of the things it does do is it kind of it, it, it takes like kind of years off the life of your heart like cocaine will um redline your heart and actually 
it's hard to tell how much of this is like and you know, can I, in or not. Yeah, yeah. Dude, and I quickly want to step in here so that the audience members would also like take this into account. Uh, once Lauren disappeared, her apartment was searched by law enforcement and they did find some cocaine in her yeah. apartment so this is what glenn is saying how this that's, connects that's working, yeah. yeah that's what that's that's the connection i just wanted to run past you know what i mean to make yeah. sure like the audience members like really understand it like, yeah because because yeah. it's like where's where's this cocaine coming from all of a sudden yeah so that's that's where i'm going that is unfortunately or i mean like that unfortunately look um as much as there's like um illegal narcotics and things that are controlled substances that are not uh, you're not supposed to do um that are damaging to your health well so is alcohol and cigarettes and like big macs and coca-cola you know what i mean all these other things like like potentially <laughs> like soft drinks might be as bad for you as cocaine and over the, the course of your life um it just just if you think about it but yeah it is interesting so but it is it is worth worth thinking about as i understand it cocaine does have the ability to sort of almost like like you know how like i, I mean i think it's kind of cool in a way from like a kind of a macabre perspective you know how like how like nitrous can take your engine and like like push pushes performance but at risk of like you know blowing it up or at least de seriously de you know damaging it to some extent you know, decreasing its lifetime. Well, cocaine can kind of do that with your heart. And um, that's why you see people that are like overweight. You can't, it's like be overweight, do cocaine. And um, I forget what the third one was like, um, uh, uh, you know, opiates, pick pick two. <laughs> you can't do like three out of the, all three or you'll die. Yeah. Uh, you don't see a lot of like, like you know, like Chris Farley or mm -hmm. John Belushi, case in point. You know that that you know, two cocaine addicts that mm -hmm. unfortunately shortened their lives with it. Okay, that was my filibuster on that. <laughs> yeah, dude. All right. How about we jump to the interesting details in this case that we want to kind of address, right? So, uh, the first interesting detail that I have noted down here is that the men that were with Lauren on the day when she disappeared, so namely Corey Roseman, the man that uh, went with her to the sports bar, got punched in the head later on and vomited on the carpet in his own apartment complex. That's a classy guy. I want to quickly jump to his uh, picture. This guy, you know what I mean? Then we have Jay Rosenbaum, this other dude who looks like he's from the American Pie. Like both of them look like they're from American Pie. You know what I mean? Uh, this guy right here who la allegedly was the person who last seen Lauren and let her walk back to her apartment complex at 4.30 a.m. in the morning without any shoes, without any phone, without any purse, or her keys. I'm not really sure how he thought he would get back, how she, how he thought she would get back into her apartment complex, but whatever. And then also that mysterious roommate of Corey Rosenman, um, Mike Beth, whose picture we do not have because he like his picture is just not on the internet so another dude so all of these three guys right the first interesting detail in this case is that all of these three individuals um 
they refused to take the polygraph issued by the Bloomington Police Department. They instead hired attorneys and submitted to private polygraph tests, which they supposedly passed. All four men have reportedly submitted DNA to the Bloomington Police Department. They stated they do not trust the Bloomington Police Department. So your take on this little detail, um, all of these three individuals who were last seen, um, you know, with uh, Lauren, they refused to cooperate with Bloomington Police Department fully. Yeah, so that's going to play into one scenario i will say that um you know the only longer form piece of content i've seen on this case so far on youtube the lady who did the show i think she did a good job of being fair on this point that look like just because someone isn't cooperating doesn't mean that they necessarily did anything wrong or let's say at least the thing wrong that you think that they did right so if they did do something wrong or if they if it looks like they're trying to like escape guilt from something, it might be guilt from like a different kind of charge. So not like a murder charge, but maybe more like a negligent homicide charge for giving something to someone that they died from. And then maybe you tried to hide their death and it turned into, you know what I mean? But that's, that's very different than I think the other major theory that we're suspecting that I know you're going to get into. Yeah, okay. Let's move through these interesting details first before we jump into the theories. Now, the second interesting detail here is that Lauren's parents filed a civil lawsuit against Corey Roseman, Jay Rosenbaum, and Mike Beth in 2012. The lawsuit accused the men of negligence, alleging that Corey Roseman and Jay Rosenbaum supplied Lauren with alcohol and drugs after she was already visibly intoxicated and then neglected to assure she returned safely to her apartment, which likely led to her death. A few years later, after the suit was filed, a federal judge dismissed the suit against the three men. Um, I don't know, seemed like it's a stretch to get someone accused of, I mean, negligence. What is your take here? I don't think these, even though, like, okay, just, I really want to clarify this. I think it's terrible, and I wish someone would have walked her back to her apartment, but I don't think it's a crime to be a jerk, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not even, like, entirely sure if they are being jerks or like, you know what I mean? Cause like, I mean like the, the Corey guys out of it, the other guy, like what he just got up. Right. Like, yeah. like when they, 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 these two, two drunks come stumbling into his room, you know, one dude already threw up over the carpet outside. Ugh. I just want to quickly, then, uh, yeah. uh, Mike Beth didn't just wake up. Apparently he was studying for like some okay. sort of an exam or some paper that was due the following day okay so i mean but he had something to do right like he had a he had like priorities so these other people like they got to party and stuff right like he he took the time like he invested in himself doing this so i'm just saying like from his point of view he's not going to be like super sy sympathetic to you know this face of like like normally 
what's going on is like not that unusual, right? I mean, it's it's a, it's probably a party college. It's a party college atmosphere. Probably every night there's people stumbling drunk home. I know even at UCLA, I had more than my share of drunks outside of my dorm, like every other night and craziness going on. So from that perspective, I'm kind of like, I just personally, I'm not, I do think it would have been nice for them to, to escort her back. And like, like, frankly, a lot of college, a lot of universities, I'm just saying this as a resource. As a resource, a lot of universities do have um, like courtesy patrols that you can call and they will walk you for free from wherever you are to like to your house, especially if you're like, let's say, um, a vulnerable person. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay, the next, that's a good point, man. The next point that I have here is that Lauren Spirer left her shoes and phone at the sports bar. And then later on in the night, she also left her keys and her purse in an alley. Now, it seems like a bunch of stuff that she's leaving um, on the ground. So firstly, I want to quickly jump on the map for everyone who's watching this on the YouTube channel. This is uh, on the street view. We can see Kilroy's sports bar. Now, I'm not really sure where. Maybe this is like on the where the, you know, sand location is because somewhere there's apparently like a space in this bar where people would remove their shoes, which kind of makes sense. But then leaving your phone is probably a weird way of conducting yourself on a night out definitely she probably did not wish to do that i would assume she left the phone by accident later on in the night as she was walking helping out Corey roseman because he was really drunk back to his apartment she they they were spotted on cctv by these i believe by these uh cameras right here maybe not these cameras exactly and we don't have a really good street view picture of the of the alleyway itself, but they kind of took this alleyway right here. You know what I mean? To get to the apartment where Corey Roseman was staying, and somewhere in this alleyway, for some reason, Lauren left her keys and a purse. So I kind of understand how the whole phone situation uh leaving the phone behind at the bar may have happened but then again the keys and the purse at being left at this super strange out of the place alleyway doesn't really add up to me do you have any thoughts on this particular incident i mean only from my point of view that it just shows like they're just drunken and out of control and just like doing stupid stuff at this point to to get home i mean but yeah it's, it's appalling like she's like shedding her most valuable belongings somebody should have been with them um to try to like corral them you know what i mean yeah totally i also want to jump to this uh this is the only cctv image still that i found online um, apparently, there's a bunch of CCTVs uh, of Lauren all over the neighborhood at various apartment complexes or captured by, you know, the street cameras. This is the only one we have. I don't think this is in the lobby, for instance, but this is what she was wearing at the time of her disappearance. Once again, black leggings, a white blouse. She's a petite woman. Once again, want to remind everyone she is below five foot. 
um, you know what I mean, highly intoxicated at the time when she disappeared. Um, okay, so we've got that little detail out of the way. The next interesting bar, the next interesting thing I found that I wanted to quickly mention as well is that a white pickup truck has been seen circling a block in the area at the time of Lauren's disappearance. Now, police did not say that the driver of that truck was a suspect, but they do want to talk to that person as his circling around the block was very suspicious and it happened at the same time when Lauren disappeared. Now, after sifting through hundreds of tips, Bloomington police said they, that they no longer believe that this white pickup truck is connected to Lauren's disappearance, but I didn't find the information whether or not they were actually were able to identify the driver or the drivers of that white pickup truck now to make more sense of this this is the white pickup truck on the screen we can see this pickup truck it was actually circling the neighborhood at the same time when lauren disappeared i did read a few articles about this particular truck and from what i'm gathering police actually are not sure whether this pickup truck was actually circling the neighborhood because they may have mistaken this truck with another truck and the footage is kind of grainy and for reasons that I don't know of, they no longer believe that this pickup truck is connected to Lauren's disappearance. But for that time, back in 2011, this truck was, um, you know, heavily speculated to be somehow connected to the disappearance. And since we didn't really, or at least I personally didn't find uh, any information on why police do not think this truck is no longer, you know, connected to this disappearance. I definitely wanted to bring it up. I want to firstly ask you, man, have you heard about this white pickup truck uh, angle in this case? No, I don't know a lot of detail about it. I mean, other than maybe it kind of resembles uh, another case we're going to talk about later. But yeah, other than that, I don't, I don't have a lot of extra detail. Yeah, so just wanted to quickly mention it. A white pickup truck was seen circling. Didn't want to run past that particular detail as well. Now, jumping to my next point that I have here in my notes is that Lauren had a bruise under her eye, presumably sustained in a fall earlier that evening now this bruise under one of her eyes was noted by the same jay rosenbaum the same man who allegedly let um lauren walk all the way back home alone now she didn't know how she got the bruise according to jay rosenbaum so lauren at the at the day when she disappeared she had the bruise under her right eye or left eye, sorry, I'm not sure which eye, but one of the eyes was like damaged. Um, I don't know, you know what I mean? Kind of indicates that she was drinking a lot at the Kilroy's sports bar and maybe tumbled down the stairs, perhaps. Um, another line of thinking is that maybe she got assaulted by someone somewhere. So, I don't know, have you heard about this detail and your thoughts? 
I mean, it's sort of like the parents' nightmare about like uh, alcohol use at college, because like it's going to happen, right? Or I guess that's probably the reality. But you would you would hope that they would that the your, your kid would be using it in a safer manner. Like I think this this part sucks is that there's almost like not not like an experienced adult. You know what I mean? By but it's it's really reckless behavior. So yeah, I mean the one thing I wonder is, is um, so the injury you're describing that shows up when it shows up when they when they show up at the apartment or it showed up before that when she was already mm -hmm. still at the bar just from previous nights. Yes. So the only information about this bruise under her eye comes from Jay uh, Rosenbaum, the man who last seen her. Um, and I didn't find this injury come up anywhere else in the timeline. So the, the first time that it's mentioned, I believe, is at sometime like 3.50 a.m. when, um, you know, Lauren walks towards Jay's apartment. And later on, they try to call Lauren's neighbor, but he didn't pick okay. up. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. that's that's so the first that's... time it's mentioned. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm betting between whatever happened at the bar and then like that, that basically that fight that happens where, you know, she could have caught like a, an arm or a hand in the face when everybody's kind of tussling around and waving their arms and, you know, swinging. And then, you know, if she lost her purse and all that other stuff, like who knows, who knows if she caught an elbow in the face or something, um, not even like intentionally. In the alleyway Just, perhaps? Like, is, is there a potential culprit here? Or even just, just trying to, trying to, to carry, to help Corey down, you know what I mean? Like, just, just trying to, to, to like, carry a, a guy. I could see her, like, accidentally getting hurt. Just, you know, trying to support the weight of somebody who's, like, her size, at least. Yeah, okay. That's, that's actually a really good point. Maybe she did get, like, an elbow or something like that during the scuffle, the initial scuffle at um, Smallwood Apartment Complex when Corey got into the fight with a group of other Indiana University students. That's a good point, man. I didn't really think of that. Now, jumping to the next interesting detail here, and this is going to be very uh, interesting, and I think this might shock or give some other thoughts to some of our audience members so on september 2nd 2010 so nine months before lauren disappeared lauren was arrested on charges of public intoxication and illegal consumption okay so she seems to have been at least from this viewpoint indulging in you know, a lot of drinking and potential drug abuse. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of pause it here just for a second. Of course. So this is where the, like, the big criticism comes up because people, people start moralizing about it and it's like, well, you know, the victim is doing high-risk behavior and this always comes up because it's like, uh, you know, we have to remember a victim doesn't have to be a perfect person and often people that are victimized that's part of them being victimized is maybe being caught in a situation that is a little bit embarrassing or a lot bit embarrassing 
and then the judgment and all the you know what i mean it's almost like like the oh you know they they kind of deserved it or you know that's what happens and you know what i mean so it's like a i understand where it comes from but it, it also kind of victimizes the person and then you know the other part of it is that you know this behavior is not all that unusual at all you know what i mean so this, this she wasn't acting very different if at all different than probably the the, the average college student especially at her school like the cocaine and stuff you know that's like yeah that's on the edge that's like a little bit further down um and especially some of the other substances mentioned um anyway yeah so just just it's it's, it's worth kind of calling out at that point that that has been like one of the criticisms that's come up in this case from some people is like hey this happened and regardless i guess i'll, I'll finish the thought that that doesn't mean somebody deserved to be deserved to either die or let's say worse yet taken advantage of and then have something else happen to them right mm -hmm. so yeah. you know like let's say you and me you and me could drink till we're almost dead and pass out in the street and that's on us if we accidentally get run over but for someone to intentionally run over us or take our wallet or you know yada 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 like that's not right you know what i mean so there's still an onus on other people to act like human beings no yeah totally i mean yeah of course man uh also the next point is that after her disappearance police found a small amount of cocaine in her room at the smallwood apartment complex so once again this means that and she has a heart problem like a pretty serious heart condition she was taking alcohol and she was um she definitely had some cocaine on her so i think it's pretty safe to say she must have been taking cocaine um not necessarily on the day when she disappeared but maybe soon or shortly after i mean how long would you keep cocaine a small amount of cocaine in your room it's probably keep it there for like a few days maximum because uh, I'm pretty sure she was definitely not distributing the cocaine. It was uh, for personal use. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, she was probably, she would have probably used that cocaine. I mean, maybe she even used some cocaine uh, during the day when she disappeared, you know? Well, that was one of the allegations, which we'll, we'll get into, is that there was a lot of partying and potentially multiple drugs being consumed by people that were partying that night. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll, here's the thing. Like, I, I mean, I kind of thought about this a lot. This is me. Like, you know, I grew up in the in the in like the the dare, just say no, Reagan '80s. Um, so I've had the plenty of the propaganda, and I've sort of grown up and sort of looked at the the drug issues and and tried to listen to both sides of it and seen like drug legislation and stuff. It's kind of funny because I mean, let me ask you something, Juras. Do you think? people would have reacted as badly if they had found like let's say oxys on her like um, would that have been do you, what do you think what would have been worse do you think cocaine oxys or like heroin which of the three do you think people would have been or, or let me put in another one meth because that's the other one right that gets thrown in there i mean geez, out, of, out of the four of those i think i looked down the most on like heroin and meth because those are like the but I, probably the meth is like the the craziest of them and heroin's horrible too but it's crazy because oxys are way more common so it's kind of weird she's kind of 
it's almost showing in a way you might, if you were trying to analyze it like a social sociologist or a social anthropologist, you might say she's got kind of the caviar of narcotics, right? Because oh, yeah. cocaine is not like a poor person's drug, except when it's in crack form and in freebase form. Um, like normal cocaine is like a caviar kind of party drug. It's not the drug of a hardcore addict necessarily. People do for sure get addicted on it and overdose on it. But it's sort of like, like that's a rich person that does that, right? That's like almost a rich person's disease. Yeah, totally. Um, and I get what you're saying. Lauren's friends and her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf, told police that she was in fact using drugs in addition to alcohol on the night of her disappearance. Um, yeah, some so definitely not the best thing to do when you have a uh, long QT syndrome for sure, man. And to answer your question, I think, yeah, cocaine is definitely probably like, I mean, still, a, you know, it's still like a hard drug in terms of like, it's not your everyday like weed or, or anything like that. So cocaine is definitely like next level. But yeah, yeah. It, it, it was not yeah. heroin or, or meth or anything like that, you know. I'll, I'll just finish the thought. I'll, I'll, I mean, you're right, because I mean, cocaine, you're essentially taking a bush and turning it into a tiny bit of powder and sniffing up your nose. So you're taking something that like, you know, in South America, when they chew on the leaves or they make the tea, it's like a very mild amount of the, the, the narcotic effect. So yeah, I mean, to that, I guess, to be fair, even compared to like weed or something, it would be like, uh, or, you know, marijuana, it would be like doing like an extreme amount of hash or something, um, like a very mm. concentrated amount of the drug, which, you know, can have, you know, like you said, extreme effects and definitely not advised for people with heart disease or sorry, heart, heart issues or uh, genetic issues that affect your heart timing. Yeah. Um, also want to say that uh, Jay Rosenbaum told investigators that Lauren consumed alcohol, snorted cocaine, and crushed up a clonopin tablet that evening. Okay. Oh, so she snorted cocaine and snorted a crushed clonopin tablet or actually multiple clonopin tablets so uh alcohol cocaine and crushed up clonopin tablets as well reported by jay rosenbaum you know what i mean i mean take his um you know take his statements for what they are but you know what do you make of oh, this concoction and it's and i'm looking it up right now and it's uh it's a benzo so clon it's a it's a uh it's a benzodiazepine and yeah i mean it's used for p treatment of panic disorder but basically it's it's kind of like it's gonna make you real mellow right um it's kind of something i think something similar as xanax um so yeah mixing so she's mixing all three things um so here let me ask you something because this came up and uh unless you know, I don't want to deviate from the from the timeline. So I'll just say, does it kind of remind you a little bit of like uh, maybe the one of the parts of Pulp Fiction? If you ever seen that movie, seen that movie, but I don't really remember the entirety of it. It was a while. So what happens is uh, one of the main characters um, she mistakes heroin for cocaine and she sniffs it and instantly overdoses and you know she goes into like cardiac arrest. Do you think that that's one of the scenarios that's starting to get painted or that has been painted, let's say, by the family 
by the events? Uh, not really sure. I mean, from what I've heard, um, well, yeah, that's that's a good point because uh, the family they do not believe that Lauren left uh, Jay Rosenbaum's apartment or his room, uh, perhaps in particular. So maybe if something like that happened and um, you know she overdosed, it would kind of make us believe that maybe Jay Rosenbaum or maybe others, the other men, you know, Corey and Mike were also involved in somehow covering up the crime and stashing her body. But then once again, I think a lot of, I've seen this speculation online, a lot of people think it's actually too much. Uh, if, if someone accidentally ODs, then it's way too extreme to try to get rid of the body. I'm not saying that it's not, that that probably never happened before. That probably happened a bunch of times. But I think it's an extreme, wouldn't you agree? Like, that's probably too extreme. These are like 20-year-old college students. I mean, they could panic, but at the same time... I, well, I don't know. I really don't know, you know? Yeah, because on, on one hand, like, I mean, it, it happens all the time. Like, you see it... You see it happen all the time every year. You see people die at college, um, especially partying or, like, hazing especially. You know what I mean? Like, people rushing rushing for fraternities or sororities, especially fraternities. They'll just drink too much and they'll, they'll, they'll die, you know? And then, but then like nobody, nobody hides the body though, because that's the whole thing. So that, that's the whole other set of like moving pieces. Like you said, is these people that would be willing to hide a body and like the whole ordeal, like they were hardened criminals and it doesn't really match the level of effort when you can just say, oh, you know, like we partied, except, except, except if there's some kind of major illegal drug connection where they, they think that they're going to end up getting blamed, getting the finger pointed at them fairly or not for her death. Right. And then face some kind of major jail sentence. And the, the other speculation was that maybe uh, they somehow sexually abused Lauren as they found her um, intoxication to be to, to be something that made her an easy target. Um, and maybe then she OD'd or there was like some sort of a heavier implication uh, in this case by the men, not just uh, providing her with drugs, maybe doing some you know sexual assault as well um and now that would kind of add up if you know what i mean that would add up to uh the the guilt or let's say the the the, the fear of getting a very long sentence because if it's just the, an od i'm not sure the sentence would be as harsh as if it was od plus sexual abuse if you know what i mean yeah then that would be a whole other level and I mean, it's not impossible, right? It doesn't seem as likely given the associations between her and these men, but but you know what? It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean it can't happen. I mean, I'm I'm sure if we if we were to say today that it was impossible or very not likely, we would probably get a lot of angry emails and comments. Uh, and maybe so, maybe rightfully so, right? Because it does happen a lot more than people think. So, and I think that was why she was, well, let me say that is one good reason, just in general, why Lauren might have been reluctant 
to stay at another man's house um, that she didn't know well or, you know, that she's kind of like barely sober or not barely, not even sober, barely conscious, right? Yeah. So like for that exact reason, so that that's worth mentioning at least as a as a motivating force in general for women to worry about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I want to mention as of May twenty fourth, two thousand and thirteen. You know, two years after she disappeared, investigators had received over three thousand tips in this disappearance case so once again want to uh, give the scope of the amount of tips this was a very public case it was uh, reported on uh, it was a nationwide case um, now i want to now jump to the theory section unless there's like any uh, interesting details that you want to mention uh, we're gonna bring in a few new characters into this case in the theory section before we do that anything else uh, we're missing man no, or, that's or are we it. good i'm ready awesome man all right so um i want to quickly read uh, another write-up i have here is that um a number of theories have emerged in reference to what happened to lauren that evening lauren's parents have stated they believe their daughter is dead based on her level of intoxication they also felt that she may have been drugged while at the bar quote we felt somebody could have slipped something into her drink at Kilroy's Sports Bar, said Robert Spirer, um, Lauren's father. The family has voiced suspicions about the men she was with that evening, as well as her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf, since they refused to take police-issued polygraphs and retained lawyers soon after Lauren's disappearance. Really quickly want to mention what Jesse Wolf was doing on on the day when Lauren disappeared because we kind of breezed past the boyfriend because you know in every situation when someone goes missing the people that are closest to that person always get investigated thoroughly because they instantaneously become persons of interest so Jesse Wolf um, uh, the boyfriend of Lauren this man right here on the screen uh, he has been dating Lauren at that point for over two years and from what I've gathered he was apparently a good boyfriend like a good caring boyfriend now he was texting with Lauren on the day when Lauren disappeared but he refused to meet up I think he was also living in the general proximity I believe he was also a student at Indiana University but don't quote me on this this is um, could be incorrect he was apparently uh, spending the night watching the NBA Final Four on the evening when his girlfriend disappeared and he was in fact the man who reported her missing so that's why I don't personally believe he had anything to do with Lauren's disappearance seemed like he had a pretty good alibi I don't really know why um, her parents are suspecting him of some sort of foul play maybe there are more underlying issues that we do not know about really quickly finishing up my uh right up here before we jump into it um the men uh you know the four men uh responded that uh, the men that were with lauren on the day when she disappeared uh you know they uh, have taken privately administered polygraphs uh polygraphs i'm sorry as well as one uh from the fbi so fbi questioned them as well um 
uh, also regarding uh, Lauren's level of intoxication, her friends and her boyfriend told police that she has been known to use drugs and she was using a lot of drugs and drinking a lot of alcohol on the day when she disappeared and that's pretty much it uh, we already talked about her um uh, syndrome so that was uh, you know the long qt syndrome that also may have uh, uh, had something to do with her disappearance because once again her condition mixed with alcohol and drug consumption is very dangerous and we do know that she has been drinking and using drugs in the past because she was actually arrested just nine nine months earlier so we kind of at least from what i've gathered we can kind of build a picture about lauren spirer as someone who drinks uh and parties and uses drugs uh you know but then once again that's not a you know whatever happened to her is very unfortunate and i'm not trying to say victim blame or anything like that i just want to pick paint a better picture for the audience members just because when we jump to the theories i want everyone to take everything into account I don't want to like paint like a fake picture here we're really trying to find out what happened to lauren spirer and this is it man this is where we can jump into the theories and yeah man um i'm looking at the notes i'm looking at the notes and i feel like we could jump through the theories oh yeah uh there was one shoot there was one thing i wanted to just point out about that oh yeah he was actually watching a game or something that night right wasn't he watching an nba game like a like the finals or something we're going final on, four or the final four <laughs> yeah so i mean you know i could see why he didn't want to meet up he had a game to go in and watch right yeah i mean yeah, the final four. But once again, it wasn't a short relationship. Uh, they have been in a relationship for two years at that point. So yeah, man, I want to quickly jump through the theories. And the first theory that I have here in our theory section is the accidental overdose. Okay, that's the one that I think I already built up a few times. Um, you know, real quickly, want to read what I have on the accidental overdose. Lauren's friends, as well as as her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf, told police that she was using drugs in addition to alcohol on the night of her disappearance, mixed with her long QT syndrome condition. This is a bad sign. Uh, Jesse Wolf's mother alleged that Lauren was asked to leave the summer camp way back when she met her boyfriend there because of her drug use. Her quote is, this poor little girl is not with us today because of her drug abuse. So Lauren's boyfriend's mother states that she believes that drugs were somehow connected to Lauren's disappearance. Once again, on September 2nd of the prior year, Lauren was arrested on charges of public, public intoxication and illegal consumption. So she, we definitely know that she has used drugs and alcohol in the past. Um, a small amount of cocaine was found in her room. Uh, also, you know, Jay Rosenbaum told investigators that, that Spearer consumed alcohol, snorted cocaine, and crushed up clonopil tablets on the evening when she disappeared. So all of these things would maybe 
make us think that she could have potentially the drugs could have somehow potentially been connected to her disappearance but now looking at the map okay really quickly want to paint the picture here for everyone looking at the map right here uh this is once again jay rosenbaum's apartment lauren walks here and then she's last seen walking in the southern direction approaching her apartment complex but she never reaches her apartment complex which is this thing right here she vanishes somewhere you know what i mean so looking at the map dude what do you think could have happened to lauren if we would go by the accidental overdose theory and then it's so it's like a you know it's sort of like the pulp fiction plot gone wrong like i said like some kind of overdose you know oh she's dead and then and then maybe some other stuff happened maybe not um you would think let me just let me just say you would think that would be something do you know did, did they ever try to search any of the apartment search the apartment at all take any clues any DNA tests? I feel okay. like yeah, because uh, the 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 men that were with Lauren they submitted yeah. their DNA to um, the okay, same Bloomington police. Yeah, but they didn't like take their underwear or anything to sweep for semen or anything like that. We do not have I mean, these details, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. It sounds. I'm sorry. It sounds so TMI, but it is kind of necessary because it, it would be one thing you would check. But I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's not like a lot of good um, good proof either way. That points that direction so but what could yeah, have I mean, happened yeah uh, sorry man yeah. I, I still want to make sure like just looking looking at the map like she was walking in this direction oh, right I mean, here in terms of like a, like an accident like what like, like where like, like like look dude this yeah. this is the is, is there a river i mean i, I always go to the river and it's funny because the river the river comes up is one of the things that gets blamed as like a a, a, a as like a, a place to hide a body um i was i almost chuckled just that nah. someone finally used finally someone finally said that it was like the Ohio reverse and like that there was some kind of river that was adjacent nothing in close proximity it. man well, I'm yeah, looking, yeah I'm I mean, zooming out. nothing which, in which close like by the way every everybody would see you right like I mean there's people would for sure notice you know a couple of men hauling a body down the street so that would be always the question was like what would you do would you have to like I mean, it's not impossible, I guess, right? You wrap a body up in a carpet or something like that. We talked about that before. And try to kind of get it out where nobody can see. And back then, there wasn't quite as many cameras around. There was a lot more in 2011 than there was, you know, 2001. Right. Um, but something something right here, something in this, in, in this street... Uh, you know, on these three blocks that she had to cover, like one, two, three, four, I don't know, four blocks or whatever she had to cover, something happened. Like something or here happened because she was last seen by Jay Rosenbaum, allegedly, if we think that she yeah. did leave the apartment complex. She was seen heading south. So, dude, this is like a six-minute walk. Something happened. What could have happened here? Like, like what could have happened dude so that was the theory was was she was she intercepted by somebody and then what oh, kind yeah. of person what kind of person would would it would explicitly target 
drunk women coming home from oh, yeah. wherever. Be before, yeah. dude, before we jump into that uh, that theory, yeah. man, I really want to stop here. So, um, for instance, if we're still going with the accidental overdose theory, I'm not really sure anymore. Like, um, maybe there was some construction done, maybe some sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Brian Schaefer type of uh, scenario she maybe potentially falls into, um, like a ditch or something like that, if you obviously believe that Brian Schaefer met his fate that way. But then again, dude, I want to connect this, uh, where we are at right now in our podcast to the stranger abduction theory now we will jump to that one particular stranger but um i want to quickly read what i have about the stranger abduction theory that she may have been potentially intercepted by someone on this six minute walk to her apartment complex and the details that i have here is that the police have also acknowledged they have not ruled out other possibilities such as an abduction by a stranger lauren's parents have previously stated they do not believe her disappearance was a random abduction i believe they still believe that she didn't even leave the five north town homes apartment and also we have that white pickup truck that was spotted on cctv circling the bl the block in this neighborhood however later on police stated they are pretty sure that truck is not connected to the disappearance but i didn't find the reason why they don't think it was connected to the disappearance so these are the details i have in terms of the stranger abduction theory and i guess it's time to like really bring in one of the main strangers and i think you did the most research about a, na a man named daniel Messel, right daniel daniel Messel, this guy right here so have at it man yeah so it's interesting because this is there's another case that some people wonder might be related to this and it, it actually might be worth us doing a whole separate deep dive maybe not next week but some other week coming up soon um so yeah what happened is there was another couple of cases it started off with um there was another Indiana University student who gets killed in 2015. And, you know, she's, it's, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole interesting thing on YouTube that I've watched about it. Uh, I think they broke her down really well, interviewed her mother, really, really went over the case. But yeah, I mean, basically she's, she's kind of the same, same kind of thing. Like, uh, Hannah Wilson, by the way, I know, I know you yeah, might Hannah, get, yeah, yeah, I just, might, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just want to step in with the names, dude. I just want to uh, cover you with the names. So Hannah Wilson, uh, once again, Daniel uh, Messel, uh, you know, was the man who killed Hannah Wilson uh, a few years after um, Lauren disappeared in the same proximity and under similar circumstances. Now, yeah, so this is Hannah Wilson right now on the screen. Um, and yeah, dude, have at it. Just wanted to quickly jump in with the names, you know. And, I, and this is what the one part where I'm confused. So I apologize if we get yelled at. Was she also missing a shoe? Was she also? Was, sure. it was, I, I was trying to remember there was a, there was like a, a epidemic of shoeless, drunken, um, abducted students. But yeah, I mean, it, it was the same kind of thing. And, um, you know, here's the thing. She's found. She's eventually found after, you know, going missing. Same, same kind of scenario. It's very similar. I think with, I don't want to talk about too much because I think it's, it's almost worth exploring in a whole separate show but it's once again it's it's like it's eerily similar 
Um, and, um, you know, what happens is she's bludgeoned to death. Um, it appears she's been assaulted um, sexually. And um, what happens is someone leaves a phone. So the killer, the killer apparently leaves a phone. The phone is tracked. There's a whole thing. There's, there's DNA on the body. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. And, and they, they, they convict this guy. Um, and it turns out this guy has a history because, in fact, he's actually separately um, accused and I think convicted of a, of, a, of a separate assault where the person didn't die, but they were also brutally beat. Um, it's worth, I think, just pausing on this for a second because this guy, this was like the not only the only not the only two times he'd done this. So he was kind of a serial um, like sexual assault or rapist and, and maybe a serial killer because you know, we don't just, know yeah, yeah. Really, really quickly want to also because i'm o o constantly thinking about the people who are not watching this on the youtube channel uh daniel uh daniel messel he was in his late 40s just to paint a picture of the man you know what i mean man like we don't want to because we don't assume that yeah. the, that, that that people listening yeah, to this already know about daniel messel so a man in yeah, his so 40s you know this guy, yeah, I mean, he's not, um, he, he actually had a whole history. So this was the part I had to kind of tease out a little bit because there were a lot of articles about this guy and they were all around this one case and then the other case he's convicted of. It's really similar where he kind of um, beat some lady halfway to death and, you know, assaulted her, but she didn't die. Um, and then when it turns out that when you actually do some research into this, this guy goes back to like back in 1997 he had been asked to put his DNA in the system. Well, not asked. He had been he had been forced to put his DNA in the system because he had been apparently he'd had some prior felony convictions of violence towards women. So this is a big chunk of time before that. He's already had got this history of violence towards women. He acts out, and then it turns out that all these other cases start coming out of the woodwork of other women that had accused him of either assaulting them almost as badly where like he had like forced his head, you know, like grabbed their head and forced, tried to force their head, her head on that, on him. Or um, let's say like uh, uh, ones where he, he had this, this like this MO of running around in his pickup truck. Mm, sound familiar? Running around in his pickup truck and finding women that often were drunk. So like, it was like, this guy was a predator. He had this, he had this, this like, formula in his head he's like this is a college during this time of night between let's say midnight and four in the morning there's going to be a much higher chance of some lady some young lady running around um not running around but just trying to get home right trying to get home for after a night of partying it happens every night this big university is like that especially a party university okay so anyways, he's done this a bunch of times and a bunch of women had complained. And the complaint was on top of this, that it wasn't taken seriously. That like, you know, when women, they were, they were kind of gaslit a little bit, you know? So this is, I think it goes, goes to kind of the, the, you know, to be fair to both sides, this is one of those, those issues that comes up where people say their, their, their complaints are not taken seriously and, because of who they are. Yeah, and really quickly, I want to ask you a question, man, because uh, I know you did more research into uh, this character. I did hear a few things about him, but I want to clarify. Uh, was Daniel Messel roaming around like the same Bloomington like area? Because I think he was like somehow 
roaming around this neighborhood, right, if I'm not mistaken, and also um, the crime that we uh, discussed about Hannah Wilson being murdered, it happened in 2015, so a little bit of a reference right there that it happened four years after um, the disappearance of Lauren uh, Spirer. So I was thinking, um, when were these, uh, do you know when, where and when do these accusations of like sexual assault were uh, taking place and when exactly? Oh, I, I have a link to the article uh, in our in our research here. Um, I think I updated it earlier today. It's the top link there. So yeah, unfortunately, I didn't. I did. That's where I didn't get to go deep enough on the on the issue. I just saw that there were a bunch of complaints, and I think they were from the same or adjacent areas. I mean, it was something that he seemed to have persisted over over a period of time. And then, like I said, he goes back even before 1987. So I don't feel like this is a new hobby. We talked about that before, where one of the things they wondered was someone if someone did a murder that was out of the ordinary if maybe it was somebody that was having a major emotional disturbance or life event that would make them do something different. But this guy doesn't seem to be up to be something different, right? If, if, if he's up to anything different, it's just like a mutation of whatever it was he was doing before. That's yeah. my, my two cents. Yeah, totally. I did, uh, I did read something somewhere that um, Messel was in fact roaming around the same area because like, let's because uh, oh, yeah. obviously like the body uh, on the map we can see that the Hannah Wilson's body uh, as the crow flies uh, was located around like 10, 12 miles so maybe like on the road it would be like since these roads are kind of rural in this direction where Hannah Wilson's body was found maybe it would be like I don't know like 20 miles or something maybe like 30 miles or something like that you know it says here Bloomington Police is the article I'm referencing where he had had a bunch of stuff and it was back in 2012. Some of the stuff he was able to kind of wriggle out of because it was like dark enough or, you know what I mean? There was like enough deniability where they couldn't absolutely prove this guy has done stuff. But yeah, there was, there was like a lot of stuff. I mean, there was, you know, it, it's worth saying there was, there was a search warrant that was done on him at one point. I want to quickly. Found a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, man. I quickly want to m mention this because I think this is like a real good point to mention it. Um, the prosecutor that uh, was fighting against uh, Daniel Messel in court, Ted Adams, uh, he believes that Messel may have played a key part in uh, Lauren Spears' disappearance. I'm going to quickly read what I have here. Uh, what what his quote is? It's not a long quote. I really quickly want to go down through it so uh, the prosecutor ted adams said i have been consistent with my belief regarding daniel messel's possible involvement with lauren spears disappearance i believe that in my personal opinion her disappearance is con consistent with daniel messel's modus operandi i am not a part of the lauren spire investigation I am sure there are other theories and persons of interest. I additionally readily admit that I have absolute tunnel vision regarding Daniel Messel due to learning about him during my 16 month of trial preparation for Hannah Wilson's murder. I believe he absolutely could be responsible for Lauren Spears' disappearance. Until recently, the media has never asked my opinion regarding Miss Spearer. Others have, such as Miss Spear's parents, and I have explained to them Messel's pattern that led me to develop such an opinion. It is just that 
an opinion based simply upon a pattern of conduct over the course of four years. My opinion without any real evidence remains exactly that it is an opinion. It should not be valued as anything more than an opinion of a simple prosecuting attorney. I trust that the law enforcement professionals at the Bloomington Police Department are doing their very best to solve Lauren Spears' disappearance and that they remain committed to do so. So, I mean, it's very much legal talk, you know what I mean? But then once yeah, he again. He doesn't want to get sued either, right? Yeah, but by the way, I did find out. So I was able to dig a little more in this article. Uh, I wish I'd had more time to read it, but. So is it interesting reading his previous convictions, if it's where you want to hear them real quick? Of course, of they're, course. They're pretty fast. November 1989, convicted of battery, resulting in serious injury. July 1991, convicted of battery. August 1991, convicted of battery. March 1983, convicted of battery. Uh, 95, convicted of battery with a deadly weapon and battery causing serious injuries, sent to prison, released in 1999, and then you have the April 2015 case. Now, between those, you do have these other complaints um, from, like, there was a woman in Tennessee who says she was the she attempted rape victim from 2012, who thought he was the attacker, and they, they matched it to his, his um, DNA. So, look, I, this is a pattern, right? Now, one thing I just wondered, though, all those battery cases... You know, they're not necessarily like attempted like rape or something like that, sexual assault. It makes me wonder if he had a bunch of, he had like a uh, a dysfunctional relationship where he was either, they were both battering each other or he was he was the battered, bat, he was the one, he was the abusive one in the relationship. And then he went to jail and then he came out and he was extra angry and also not the best partner anymore for somebody you know what i mean if you thought he was hard getting a girlfriend before imagine now um so maybe that's like an extra level of desperation or or anger or you know like like just twistedness coming out of prison maybe i mean yeah maybe so but most of these cases did happen like in the 90s right so it seems like a big break between the 90s and 2011 uh, the, the way I, I'm looking at it. But then once again, he did commit a murder in 2015. He was a violent individual. I, I would assume that, you know, he was linked into this case for a good reason now. For for reasons why, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just one thought, I mean, just one parting thought is maybe he was on parole, probation. I forget the, the, the difference between the two. Maybe he was being monitored for amount of years. So maybe he kind of waited until he was out of that because you know, during that period of time they could have searched his house drug tested him that tracked where he where he'd been what he'd been up to maybe he couldn't leave the state maybe he couldn't leave you know what i mean certain places but then all of a sudden that that like expires and then he's off to like you know get up to trouble again yeah no totally i think the prosecutor ted adams must have known uh, a lot more details that we do and for some reason the prosecutor heavily believes and suspects that this man could have been involved with lauren spears disappearance the only thing i wanted to mention and i'm not sure if you heard about that angle apparently someone from prison because you know this guy was to prison uh well he now is serving an 80-year prison sentence for the murder of hannah wilson but someone from prison who apparently knows this guy who's also a prisoner 
claimed that um, he heard or he was told by Daniel Messel in prison that he had killed uh, Lauren Spearer. Now, Daniel Messel denies even talking to that other prisoner and denies even knowing that other prisoner. So I didn't manage to find that angle, but apparently there is some sort of a prisoner who's claiming that Daniel Mesa has disclosed the details of how he murdered Lauren Spearer, but then he says that he did not tell such details to that other prisoner. Did you find this uh, angle? I didn't see that. I saw that he, he was denying everything and the other convictions that he's had, the other court, you know, the other their legal entanglements he's had so far. He's not ever confessed to doing anything you know sometimes right. you have somebody that actually yeah yeah i see i see so yeah that's where we i think we should leave with daniel messel and then the last person i want to uh, jump into it into because in 2016 there was another man implicated in the story and it's and this guy is mentioned in various like publications and podcasts as well uh in this case so i want to quickly read a little bit about uh justin uh wagers this man that we can see on the screen investigators told fox 59 that justin wagers a registered sex offender who used to live at the morgan county property could be connected to the disappearance of Spear and two other people as well. Justin Wager's home at the two 290 block of Old Morgantown Road, approximately 23 miles away from where Lauren disappeared, was raided by the Bloomington Police Department. Justin Wagers lived at the property before he was arrested in August for indecent exposure. In 2004, police say that this man, Justin Wagers, uh, had exposed and fondled himself in front of a teen girl near Mooresville High School. Months later, he was sentenced to three years on sexual gratification charges. Now, when he was released and eventually in 2013, Wagers was arrested uh, three times for public indecency, invasion of privacy, and intimidation charges. He also knocked on a woman's door in Johnson County without pants in August 2015. What a class act. Wow. Yeah, what what a guy, right? What a guy. So uh, there there were so he was linked as well and just for like um I have a map. So this is the map. This is the distance between Kilroy Sports Bar and where he was living at that point. So, you know, it's like a good 26 miles away. Uh, he was also linked. Uh, don't really have all that, all the details in the world about him as well. Apparently some sort of a sexual predator. I mean, um, yeah, giving his track record, I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, was somehow connected to uh, Lauren's disappearance. But just in general, from the information that I've gathered uh, on Justin Wakers, I didn't really find anything that would connect him to the case. I just wanted to mention him because he was connected to the case by law enforcement. But obviously, they know more information than us, you know? Yeah, I agree. So yeah, the, these are like the, the, the individuals that were connected for some reason. So I guess now it's time to jump to our conclusions, man, because uh, we're kind of approaching that time. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, let's, let's, let's try to, you know, brainstorm and analyze what is the most likely scenario. So 
I mean, given, given the map and given the location and just looking at the map, dude, I know I'm putting you on the spot because like my mind is completely blank so far. I, I am leaning in a few theories, but I wanted to ask, do you like lean in a certain direction or a certain theory in this case? Yeah, I mean, if I had to do the percentage breakdown, I would say probably 60% towards the, not not necessarily the, the Daniel Messel, someone like that, right? It's kind of weird because we just talked about that, right? How like it's, it seems so strange that that could happen, but I mean, when there was there were people like this dude out there actively, like like it was their hobby, like they were fishing, right? Like they were hunting for deer, you know. He was doing it. He made like a like a hobby out of it. If he figured that out, lots of other people do. And then you know, those examples I gave where you know a victim will run into like someone else and ask for help and get victimized again. So clearly, there's like a more than enough predators out of there that makes more sense to me i think for the other i guess if the other major two are like some sort of conspiracy by people that knew her maybe to hide her death like accidental death drug death etc that i would give uh maybe 30 percent, and then put 10 percent towards like some kind of accidental like the brian schaefer thing you, you fall into a hole in the, hole in the earth I actually uh, would not agree with these percentages because uh, for but you know that's my opinion because uh, I do not think for some reason like during my research I did not find enough uh, things to for instance implicate the roommate like the men the group of men that she was hanging out at the five North Town homes I think um, since law enforcement has their like DNA and whatever and they couldn't like pin anything on them uh, so I wouldn't give that theory maybe like 30% I would give that theory maybe like a good 5% at the most for me it's just not standing out and I will say I do lean the most towards the accidental overdose um, I would say the accidental overdose theory is like potentially like i would even say like maybe 80 percent and then i would say 15 percent for the uh stranger danger situation happening because for me like like the qt syndrome her doing like a gazillion bazillion different drugs i feel like even like these six minutes at like 4 30 she's like stumbling around she must have like yeah like i do agree like it's it's kind of weird because from the map that we're looking at like it's right there like this is a six minute walk like she was like right there but then who knows who knows what really happened you know what i mean if i feel like she may have od'd and um but then again wouldn't someone just call the cops when they find the body like she she may have been snatched up as well like it's really hard to break down all i'm gonna say is that i do think that all i'm gonna say i don't know what happened to lauren uh on this six minute walk but i do believe that she did in fact attempt the six minute walk i do believe that she left the five north homes uh down home's apartment complex and she did try to go back home i think something bad must have happened to her once she was back walking back home so you know that's where i'm gonna leave it at this week you know that's the crazy i mean that's the crazy part is you know I, 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 on one hand it's like this is the age where people do like od and you know like like we just start to see like a lot of i mean other than i guess high school parties and stuff where I guess kids do also stupid stuff, but you know what I mean? College is like where people started really experimenting with drugs and alcohol. 
So of course you're going to see some of the first big clusters if you charted it of like mortality around that stuff. But you know, I mean, like people people OD all the time. Like I hear it on my radio scanner. If I just turn on my radio scanner in a given day, I'll hear the fire department check in around my part of the city for like different dead people, different people that OD'd, dead bodies that they found, apparent natural deaths, things like that. But, but yeah, people OD constantly. So it would be like, why why would they? Why wouldn't you find her body? Because that's the part that really bothers me is it's really normal for someone to OD and then to find their body. By OD, I mean overdose, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's what bothers me about that part of the theory. And then it's so weird because if we talked to me a couple of years ago, I think I would have I would have been like, eh, that seems so alarmist to worry about some weird guy running around trying to kidnap you. And that doesn't seem like a very likely thing. But I'll tell you, and I know we're, we're closing up the episode right now. I'll just give a parting thought. Like my wife, way back when we used to live in a different part of the valley, um, in like my hometown, my wife used to only work like literally a block or so from where we lived um, in like a high rise. So, sorry, she worked in a high rise and lived in like an apartment complex nearby. And I can't tell you, she got most, she, I could probably point to two hands to tell you the amount over the, the couple of years that she had to walk home before we, we both got cars. She got harassed by guys like asking her for try, trying to like pick her up and like, and like seemingly actively stalking her, you know? And like, you know, my, my wife, especially when we were young, you know, we, I mean, my wife's attractive, of course, and, and um, a lot of women in general get harassed by guys. Um, but you know what I mean? It's not that uncommon. And I think like, I wouldn't have known that. Let's suppose I'd never met her or I'd, I'd left, left, lived a more solitary life or just dated someone else that hadn't had to deal with that. Maybe I wouldn't have known how common that was. So that's why I think that like now, that's why it's a little higher on my radar than maybe it used to be where I used to be like, eh, you know, that's, that's, that's the part that bugs me. Cause I, I like, from what you say, it makes sense. Yeah. She did a crap load of drugs and her heart doesn't work right. Like what could go wrong, right? Um, it seems like something probably did or was going to, right, eventually. Um, just the question is, did it that night? Yeah, good question, yeah. man. Yeah, that's, and I hope the audience members, you know, they have like always some good theories. Uh, some of the commenters on our YouTube channel always bring out like their A game with the with the theory. So I can't wait to uh, see what, what you know, our fans, our audience members uh, have to say. And obviously, guys, I hope everyone enjoyed this week's show. I think we're going to be wrapping it up here. It was a good uh, episode. I think we definitely, hopefully, improved for last last week's episode. Last week's episode was definitely all, all over the place. Uh, yeah, like I didn't handle the timeline all that well. But this week, hopefully, it's a lot better. And guys, I hope you will all have a great rest of the week and an amazing upcoming weekend as well. Please uh, stay safe and please catch us on the next week's episode. Until then, stay safe and. Peace out.